Hey everybody, welcome to I was gonna call it Product Led Hour because I had that in my mind. <laughs> Live expert QA with Andrew Kaplan. How is it going, Andrew? I'm doing fantastic, man. Call it whatever you want. That sounded cool. Yeah, so welcome to Product Led Hour. <laughs> and we have an expert today, Andrew. I know some people, we have 38 people live right now. I know we had over 250 people sign up. When I told Wes yesterday night, he was like, what the heck? What happened here? So I think there's a lot of people really interested about starting and scaling their growth team. Thank you for joining us. We want to make sure you get a ton of value out of this. Andrew, I'm sorry to do this, put you on the spot, but maybe can you introduce yourself a little bit for people, let people know who you are? Sure. I'm Andrew. I'm the head of growth at Postscript. Uh, actually, I should take a step back. Like, I'm a growth nerd. I live it. I breathe it. I love it. All types of growth, product-led growth, growth marketing, growth product management. I'm just fascinated by the space. And uh, I've been fortunate to work at some cool companies where I've gotten to work on some neat projects and make a whole bunch of mistakes. So currently, I'm the head of growth at Postscript, which is an SMS marketing tool for brands on Shopify. We're growing fast. Uh, anyway, we talk more about Postscript, but former head of growth at Wistia, was there for a long, long time and was at HubSpot before that. And so currently at Postscript, a lot of what I'm focused on is driving product adoption. Like probably many folks that are listening to the Q&A, we are a product-led business with a small sales arm as well. And so a lot of what I do is focused on driving more product adoption and engagement to ultimately retain and upsell more of our customers as they scale with usage. But in the past, I've worked all across the funnel from user acquisition, new user onboarding. Uh, I've done a whole bunch of pricing optimization work, some retention work as well. And I've made a million mistakes. And I should also add that I'm a new dad. So my wife and I just welcomed our baby boy, Cameron, to our family about three and a half months ago. So in addition to all those fun things I listed, I'm also extremely tired. <laughs> <laughs> are you getting much sleep these days or you are? I know some people who have a plan to get a lot of sleep. I'm getting a lot of three-hour and four-hour blocks of sleep. Nice. Not much longer than that. <laughs> All right, let's jump into the questions. I know some people, and this is something that I sent out to folks. If we do have a Q&A, if you fill out the question form that we sent before and that we tend to prioritize those first. The question is from Melissa, and she's talking about starting a growth team from scratch. And how do you balance that about the growth versus actually doing and managing working your normal day-to-day work? Like, how do they balance? Like, what are your suggestions around like starting a growth team when you still have to do your real job? Yeah, I mean, this is how most of the people that I know that got into growth started in this way. So I'll share what I did personally. And then if there's follow-up questions, we can talk about those. But I feel like it starts by taking a growth approach to solving a specific problem. So like for me, I'll, I'll share my own personal journey. So I was someone who was a marketing operations expert. So I knew a lot about marketing ops. I knew a fair amount about demand gen. And I started getting into growth by figuring out that I didn't know all the answers. Like I didn't know all the right campaigns to run. I didn't know all the ways to improve the conversion rate on the website for the company that I was working at. But I knew that there were people that took a different approach than I did. A lot of the approach that I took in the past was, hey, I went to a conference And I learned this is the right way to do this, so I'm going to do it this way. And what I learned over time is that there's no right way to do something. And that often what happened behind the scenes was like six iterations on what that person actually did, where five of them failed before they found the one thing that was really successful. And so I took that as an approach to the way that I started my day-to-day work as this person 
focused on marketing operations and demand gen. And over time, I learned that that approach helped me find the right answer. It was more of a system than a body of work. It was a system of trying many things and experimenting and tinkering and iterating to eventually find the right answer more so than intuitively knowing it up front. So I think that's a really good foundation for people that are interested in getting into growth is take a growth approach to problem solving in your existing role. And as you start to learn and get some momentum and get some wins, naturally it makes sense to apply it to other problems. And some of those other problems might be things where you need more resources. And that's kind of where, you know, a growth team can really start to scale from being like a lone wolf, basically, you know, somebody who's a lonely growth marketer or growth PM, but, you know, somebody who's taking a growth-minded approach to their day-to-day work to somebody who's then starting to scale a growth squad that might eventually turn into a more uh, dedicated team down the road. Great response. And I, I love a question that just came in. I'm sorry, like people can actually send an audio question through this app, which is absolutely crazy, but I actually crossed it out. But the question that I believe Kevin asked was around why build a growth team in the first place? Like, what are your thoughts around, like, you know, should companies have teams at all? Like they already have marketing, they have already product. Like why have a growth team? I think it's a totally fair question. I don't think a growth team is the best fit for every kind of company is like the honest answer. But for companies that are high volume, that have a self-service or product-led arm balancing with a sales team, what tends to happen is you have a body of work that's in between every team. It's like basically how do you do touchless sales at a software company, e-commerce at a software company. And that involves like, how do you market it? How do you do the user onboarding if there's no people involved? How do you convert those people into customers if they're not having one-to-one conversations with sales? And how do you retain and hopefully upsell those folks for a long, long time? And again, at a company that focuses more on an inside sales model, typically those things are done by people. Every problem, there's people that are plugged in. But at a product-led org, or even like a freemium company that's just a total self-service business, there's a gap. And so a growth team is a really good cross-functional crew that fills that gap, that focuses on commercialization within your existing audience. And they work really well with marketing and with product. So like marketing's job is to create demand and tell the story in the broader market. Growth's job is to capitalize on that demand and commercialize it and to show value very quickly. And then the core product team thinks about what is the core jobs to be done that our product solves long-term and how can we add additional value? How do we create new tools that add additional value and improve the existing core value of our product today? And that's kind of how all three of those things work harmoniously. I love how you broke that down to those different like core responsibilities. I want to take a step back. You, you talked about why you know people should have growth teams and sometimes it might not be the best fit, but you were talking about the lone wolf. <laughs> and it sounds like there's already a process like Okay, so you were talking about having this growth mindset in the beginning, but let's say the CEO, small team, CEO is like, we need a growth team. And where did they go from like going from that lone wolf to actually scaling it up? How does that process look like for you? You can go in a few different roads, but I think the road most traveled is you scale from being a lone wolf, working on one problem with like one KPI and limited resources to having, I call it like a growth squad, but it's usually a lone wolf working in tandem with some other folks. And if you come from a marketing background, this would typically be two engineers and a designer or an engineer and a designer to start. And that's where you can start to just like move faster and to take some bigger swings 
and to think a little bit less incrementally and more in terms of like what changes or experiments or programs might I create that can unlock new big opportunities that I wouldn't be able to do without them. And so scaling from there makes sense. And over time, what you'll find is if you're, you know, your growth squad will stay focused on one or two problems, one or two KPIs to start. But after a certain amount of time, you'll find that there'll be even more opportunities or hopefully there'll be more opportunities. And that's when you can scale from like a small squad to a true cross-functional team. It might make sense to bring in some specialization at that point where you can have, you know, a portion of your growth team working on user acquisition, a portion focused on user onboarding or activation, and maybe they come together and jointly work on pricing work if and when your company decides to take on some of those things. And that's kind of how I've seen them scale. So from the lone wolf to the squad, to the team, and then eventually, in my experience, at least at a small or like medium-sized company, what you'll find is that a lot of, like a lot of your wins and growth come from removing friction, highlighting what's valuable to customers, and layering in additional segmentation down the road. Like there's not always a system, but those are usually some principles that are a core part of how a growth team operates. And what you'll find is over time, you'll get a lot of those wins. And so growth will think bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually bump into some areas that make sense to be owned by other teams. So for example, if you were focused on new user onboarding and you focused on new user onboarding for a year and you tried 10 different flows and you optimized it eight different times and you've segmented down from there, you might feel like there's not that many wins to be had. And you might think, hey, for us to move another five to 15%, we need to redo the user interface inside of the product. Let's totally redo that. And that's where you might find it makes more sense for you to hand that project over to a team of specialists and act as a consultant. So good things like that happen as you scale as well. It's just sort of a natural part of the evolution. That totally makes sense here. I like how you broke that down to Lone Wolf, to Squad. <laughs> There's uh, really interesting names. There's a follow-up question that somebody dropped into the comments. I feel like like really flows into this conversation. Uh, the question is, can you please break it down in terms of what initiative you were executing in that initial phase for it, uh, you know, one, before it matured? Like, what were you focused on? What tools were you using in those early stages for it really blew up into like a larger growth department than, you know, just very early on? Yeah. So in the early phases of growth, typically you'll be focused on one KPI and it will depend on the company that you're working at, what KPI that should be, because, you know, it will depend on their results and the growth model that you put together and all that stuff. But for me, in the two times that I've scaled growth, One time I was focused on new user acquisition, so getting more people to try our software. And another time I was more focused on new user onboarding. So hyper-focused on those two things. Let's take user acquisition because I I just feel like that's a common one. So during my time at Wistia, we were really focused on getting more installs to try our freemium product. And so a lot of what we did was run A-B tests on the website to see if we could identify pages that had a lot of traffic, but a relatively small percentage converting into new accounts and to figure out why and to break through our plateau. And so we were doing lots of A-B testing. At the time, it was myself with some software. At that time, it was Optimizely, which is a really good A-B testing software. And they have raised their prices to the point where no one I know uses Optimizely anymore unless they work at like Amazon. So now I use VWO is the product that I use today. And so I think that's like a common road where you can start to run A-B tests yourself And you might pull in a designer here and there where you want to totally redo a page or think through a new experience where, you know, you need a little bit more help that's outside of yourself. Or you can partner with an agency 
which there are conversion rate optimization agencies out there where you can get a lot done in a short amount of time and sort of leverage your time a little bit more effectively that way. So I think that's like a really good place to start. And then as time goes on, you're able to take on more. So like, I'll give you a real tangible example. When I first started as a lone wolf at Wistia, I would pick one page, a features page. And I would say, how can I get more installs from this page? And I would run 10 tests in a row on that page that were like different copy and different pictures and different videos and sliders of all the features above the fold versus making them have to scroll down the fold and all this stuff. And that's where I started. And when I got more engineering help, it changed the way that I thought because they were in my brainstorm uh, when I was brainstorming ideas to try. And then all of a sudden the ideas started getting cool. And they'd say, well, what if we made a lightweight version of the product that somebody could interact with and they could play with the product for free, no form or anything like that. But at a certain point, we'll prompt them to save an account. And I was like, yes, we should definitely try that. And that would have been something that I could not have executed as a lone wolf. But as you scale the team, more opportunities like that open up. That's such a good example with the feature page. One thing that people might ask and something that I've come across is your launch experiments on the feature page. What do you do when you bump into other people's space? Like, you know, I'm sure marketing might be (laughs) responsible for that feature page or like product is like, Andrew, man, what the heck are you doing? You're screwing up with our page. Like, have you run into situations where like you bump into another team and how do you deal with that situation? Yeah, you will, especially if you're doing a good job and you're asking tough questions. And I mean, to work in growth, it's, I think about it as how do you break through plateaus? You know, things are going well, they're going a certain way. You're getting a certain amount of conversions and whatever the metric is. How do you break through that? In a lot of ways, it's doing things differently. And so when I started, I'll share what I did the first time and then I'll share what I learned and how I've done it better at PostScript. But when I started at Wistia, we just started changing stuff. And frankly, it was tense at times, especially with our design team. They were a design-led company. Design would initiate a lot of changes. They have an amazing brand, right? Like I see you laughing, Rowling. An amazing brand. And here I am, some nerd coming in, ripping out these amazing designs and replacing it with like dead simple stuff to see if it'll convert better. And sometimes it did, but it was not in alignment with how the company made decisions. And that was tough, uh, honestly, on me personally. And then I did the same thing inside of the product where I started to get some wins, you know, once we solved the design issues, started getting some wins on the website. And so I kind of got the green light to start experimenting with the new user onboarding flow. And then I started kind of bumping into our product designers and some of our other PMs. And so that was poor, where I just got a bunch of momentum. I got executive level buy-in and I just figured everybody else, not that who cared, but you know what I mean? Like I, I just was trying to go fast and, you know, do my boss proud basically. And so I've taken a totally different approach at PostScript, which is before I ever got started, I defined what growth is and what growth works on and what KPIs I'll be focused on and how I execute and how I run lots of experiments and the approach that I take to run those experiments and how I prioritize the user and collect qualitative feedback and all of that good stuff. And I include those people in my brainstorms. I ask for their opinions so that when I execute projects, I'm not interrupting what they've done. They're actually a part of my flow from the beginning. And it's just a much better foundation of like trust. What I've learned is like to get alignment, it's just all about being really crystal clear about what you're looking to do and why you're looking to do it. And to be proactive about letting those people know, even if it's like a little uncomfortable and painful in the moment, 
And that hypothesis has proven to be absolutely true during my time at PostScript. I've got amazing partners. I have not felt that I've bumped into those other teams and we've been able to, to do a lot of great stuff because of that. So I'd highly recommend that to other people. I laugh because like one of my mantra I got in trouble for is break stuff and ask for forgiveness later. And I feel like that's like the early, you know, like when you're a lone wolf, you could feel that way, but you're right. Like you got to partner up with the other departments. They also give a ton of great ideas as well. Like, is that what you find at PostScript when you start partnering up with product and marketing, like and design, they're actually giving you a lot of ideas that you can experiment with. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. I want to shift gears a little bit now and, and talk about, you were talking about wins there. Like, how do you identify, you know, let's say the CEO or the leadership has approved, like, you know, somebody's going to work on growth, you're a lone wolf. One of the things that, that must be top of mind is like, I got to find a quick win or else I'm going to be out of the job really soon, right? So like, how do you identify that? And I guess a really question is around prioritization. Like, how do you know what to work on first and First hired, how do I identify a quick win so that I get people's buy-in? What's cool is that this answer, I feel like, is how I approached the last question at PostScript. So I was saying like at PostScript, before I ever got started, I met with the people that I identified would be my stakeholders, people in product, people in marketing, people from the executive team. And I sat with them and I shared, like I put together a document and then I walked them through here's what growth is. Here's how I define it. Here's what I'm going to work on. Here's the KPIs where I think I'm probably going to start. And here's my hypothesis for what I think our system will look like for the next six to nine months. And during those conversations, I made sure to ask them questions. Uh, and one of the questions that I would ask would be, what do you think I should work on? And I took notes, like I, I treated it with intent. And so from those ideas, from those questions, I got a ton of ideas when I was brand spanking new. Like it was my first month. I had no idea what to work on just yet. I knew roughly where I thought I should focus, but I didn't know what might move the needle. And that's how I got a lot of amazing ideas. And I run the Sean Ellis ICE framework to prioritize like to a T. I find it works exceptionally well. So essentially what I do is I've got, I do it in Google. Uh, I do a Google sheet where I keep uh, a running list of all the ideas that come in. And then I rank them in terms of impact how confident I am that the idea will succeed and the amount of effort involved. And so I try to get at least 20 in that list before I even like really dig into it. But to prioritize the quick wins, I look for things that'll have a high impact, relatively uh, high confidence and low effort involved. Those are your quick wins. And I take that. And basically what I do is I like to do a few quick wins, like a couple quick wins each week as you're developing your longer term strategy, hypothesis, direction, so that you can feel like you're making some momentum and getting those quick wins, like you can't get those fast enough, but you also don't want to get into this place where you only do small incremental projects because in the long term that will hurt and prevent you from getting more help to do the big things. That makes a lot of sense. I love how you really broke it down the way that you're talking about quick wins. I know we've been talking about tactical, you know, very minute growth experiments. I had a question earlier about growth itself, whether it's just about optimizing experience or CRO, or is there like a bigger picture around growth where like you're maybe taking bigger picture around like how you optimize something? Do you have any thoughts on like the balancing between trying to improve the user onboarding, which is very like in the minute details versus like trying to think bigger picture and maybe ex experimenting with maybe like, like something much bigger, like the experience overall? Do you zoom in, zoom out? Like, what are your thoughts around like experimenting with very zoomed in experiment, like a CRO 
or more like thinking about growth in terms of a larger picture? Yeah. So both are super important. Both should be in the roadmap. And the way that I think about it is, again, so we talked about prioritization. I try to prioritize, the first column is like impact. And so I prioritize based on impact first. But when I think about the roadmap, I try to do a mix of projects that have a mix of how much effort is involved. And so usually the more like tweaky optimization website or like even in-app like optimizations, changing colors and copy and images and pictures and page layouts, like usually those are like the little things in terms of effort involved. And then as you start to think about things that have a much larger effort, making new tools, like that's like something that our team is kicking around right now is how do we get more top of funnel users? Like maybe we should just make some new free tools with that will play really well with our existing product for the sole purpose of funneling more people into our existing tool. And like, that's something that we're evaluating. I talked a little bit about at Wistia, we did a a project where you could actually interact with a version of our tool on the website, things like that. They all come from the same process from my perspective, which is you identify a KPI that you want to focus on. You gather a cross-functional crew of people that have a different perspective on this thing. And then you just do a green light brainstorm. There are no bad ideas for a half an hour. And the output of that Uh, if you've got good creative people, will be ideas that run the gamut from optimizations to programs to new tools. And that's kind of how I go about servicing those ideas rather than put all the pressure on like, well, I need to check off the box and like do this one thing. I just try to do it based on what will be the most impactful for the business and trying to get really creative people to be a part of that. I really, really love that. Like, yeah, you're trying to pull everybody in and, you know, there's a mixture of different ideas in that mix, whether that's short-term experiments, like what that question was about or long-term stuff. I think you're starting to get to that already. I want to like keep going at that. There was a related question around your weekly cadence around growth. Uh, are there anything that you do like on a weekly basis? And I'm sure there is like, you know, looking at Charles' book, Hacking Growth, but like, what does your weekly cadence look like? Once you have, you do have those ideas, like how do you make sure that they're executed and who do you meet with? Like, what are some of the things that you're doing on a weekly basis as a head of growth? Yeah. So on a monthly basis, or I guess on a quarterly basis, set high level direction and pick one or two KPIs to focus on. From that quarterly basis, try to put together a loose three-month roadmap. Like things change, obviously, but at least directionally accurate. And that's where I'll do a lot of the green light brainstorming and trying to use that to fuel the roadmap. So that on a weekly basis, I find it's helpful to have basically two main meetings throughout the week, in addition to like the monthly planning stuff. The teams I've worked on always work on a sprint cycle. So Mondays are usually sprint planning where you open up for us, it's Trello for other teams, it might be other areas, but we open up Trello. We talk about either the programs, projects, or experiments we're getting ready to run. We make sure that we identify who needs to collaborate with who, if there's any unknowns that we need to surface and make sure the engineers have what they need specced out so that they can can kind of run with a full head of steam. So I find that to be incredibly helpful. And then Fridays, I like to do something that is super dorky, but I love it and I can't imagine not doing it, which is, I call it full story Fridays, which is basically that you open up, full story is the tool that I like, but you open up a tool where you can watch people interact with whatever you just built, project, experiment, new page, program, app, it doesn't matter, but watch as many people interact with it as you can. You will come away from that session with amazing ideas and things that will instantly add value to the product and to the thing that you're working on. So I like to do those two things. Depending on what we got going on, we might also have a a separate session where we surface some learnings or maybe share 
results of an experiment or something interesting that somebody on the team learns. And sometimes that's async. Sometimes we'll have a separate meeting for that. I remember seeing a LinkedIn post about Full Story Fridays from you, from Mustia. Is that correct? Like, was that from you where like you're talking about Full Story Friday? Yeah, we kind of just stumbled into it. Like one of the things that I've learned is that there is no better way to figure out what to do than by watching people do or not do what, you know, like if you're focused on getting someone to a certain point inside of your product, there's no better way to figure out what to do to get more people there than to watch people try to get there and get stuck and get distracted and rage click on something that isn't clickable and get stuck on some stupid page that they should have no business being in, in their first session. Like there's just no substitute for that. It's so valuable. And then on the website side, you can obviously do the exact same thing. Watch people interact with the site Right, you know, you can also run surveys and ask them why they got stuck and things like that. But sometimes in a full story Friday, we'd also do like uh, usertesting.com sessions, where if we were doing, let's say, a new version of the pricing page, we'd fire up 10 people who were our ICP going through our pricing page and sharing their thoughts with some prompts. And we'd listen to that and we'd adjust the design and things. So I'm just a big fan of getting as close to the user as you possibly can. And full story is a tool that. Uh, for whatever reason, it was just fun to call it Full Story Friday. We'd all grab lunch. Somebody would take notes. We'd watch 20 sessions in half hour, 40 minutes. And it was always a high energy uh, team activity. That's really funny. Who are in those meetings? Like you have you, you got the product team. Like I'm curious, like they're just in a room or a Zoom meeting, just having lunch and, and watching this. Is that? <laughs> yeah, it's funny doing it virtually. Your computer will hum, you know, like it's working in overdrive. But yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. So for us, we do it for the growth team. It'd be myself, a designer and an engineer, and maybe just someone else who was interested in what we had going on. Sometimes a PM would join uh, if it was a web project. And it's something that I've seen other teams adopt as well. I'm not sure why more people don't. I mean, there's other versions of Full Story, right? Like I think VWO even has a lightweight version of it. And there's other tools like Hotjar and Crazy. You know, the, the tool doesn't matter, but some way to get feedback from real people who are, uh, I saw someone ask ICP, who are your ideal customer profile, interacting with your tool and getting lost, getting stuck, getting confused, because that's friction. Uh, and, and that's finding ways to remove friction is like a great tool in your tool belt for improving conversion rates. I love that. That's like a gold mine on its own. Do you follow up with that? Like, let's say, yeah, you find something stuck. Do you do any other like user research stuff or like user interviews? Or is that more like the product team or the product marketing team's job to do like those user audience interviews? Yeah, I mean, it's super valuable. I've been fortunate to work at companies where they've had someone on the product team who's focused on that. And that person's a great collaborator for me. I think finding ways that you can learn more about people is just a huge advantage. And so if you don't have access to someone who's focused on user research, I like to run a couple surveys. So like one, if you're focused on improving conversion rates on your website, I think an easy thing to do is to say like, hey, thanks for stopping by. Would you mind sharing the one thing that's stopping you from creating a free account, free trial, demo, whatever it is today? And most people will ignore that pop-up, but you'll get real answers and the answers will be good. And for every answer you get, you can assume like, 300 other people thought the exact same thing. They just didn't want to write into your pop-up, which is fine. You only do that for like a week or two. You don't have to have a pop-up on your site for long, but that's a great way to get those insights. And then the same thing when someone signs up for your product. So like if they sign up for your product for the first time, add an additional question to your form that says, hey, thanks for signing up for the tool. We are so pumped that you're here. 
would you mind sharing the main reason you installed an account today? And then they'll tell you, here's what I'm looking to do with your product. And if you collect enough of those, you'll realize that everybody who signs up for your product fits, hopefully, into like five different lanes. And then you can customize their journey to help whichever lane you want to prioritize. And that will help with segmentation. So all different ways of like getting user inputs, but all super helpful in their own ways. That's so good. That's such a goldmine in terms of like really optimizing the new user experience. It's just asking them, what is, why did you sign up like that? You can really customize the whole experience based on that. Great insight. I want to loop back around mistakes. <laughs> uh, you talked about mistakes that you made. One of them was just doing stuff and like launching them. There was an earlier question around what are some other mistakes that you, you know, if somebody is thinking about starting a growth job or starting a growth team, what are some mistakes that you've made personally that you can tell them to avoid? Yeah, I think for me, one of the biggest mistakes I made was not, was scoping projects to the resources I had available. And what, like to just be a little bit clear, I thought the way to grow our growth team the first time I went about it was just to do great work, to get a bunch of wins. And it would be an easy sell to my executive team because look what I'm doing on my own. Just imagine if I had more help was what I thought. And what ended up happening is because I didn't really have help, it limited what I could execute. And so I could do a lot of small incremental changes, but when you do small incremental changes, you get small incremental results. And so that doesn't excite your executive team and that doesn't exactly make it an easy case to get more resources. And so what happens is you think, hey, everybody knows I'm just doing this little quick win stuff until I can get more help. But what ends up happening is when you're not around, they say, we don't want to give this person more resources. They're just doing all this little things. It's not moving the needle. And so you can get stuck. I, I kind of jokingly refer to this as like the resource hamster wheel, where you're just running on this hamster wheel, doing small projects because you can't get more help and you can't do big work because you don't have the help and you can't get the results. It's not a good place to be. And so one of my biggest mistakes there, and so what I would recommend doing to avoid that is making sure when you're creating your roadmap that you're really servicing the big opportunities that you can't execute. Share them with your boss, you know, whoever it is that growth reports up to, share it with them and make sure you don't just share like, hey, this is a cool thing. Imagine if we could do it, but create a project plan as if you were going to do it. Hey, look at this amazing project. I know we can't resource it now, but I thought through the opportunity and here's what I think we can have happen for the business if we execute this. Here's the results that I think we can achieve. And then it becomes a much different conversation where they'll go, wow, I'm really interested in that. How can we make that happen? And then you can start to have the resource conversation because they're excited about it and you'll be way more likely to be successful there. So that, that's like one of the easy things. Um, we talked a lot about alignment. And so I sort of shared like my mistake before was not really aligning with people that would be my stakeholders, uh, even though you would think it's so common sense. But just because I worked cross-functionally, I worked in the middle of all these teams. I thought they just all knew. I thought they just understood what growth was and what I'd be working on. But making sure to document and over-communicate that has also been a huge help. So good. You're totally right. I think documentation is such an important thing. Um, it's a great way for other people to get excited on what you're doing and what the growth team is doing. I want to shift gears and talk about personal development. How do you think about yourself, developing yourself as a growth leader? But also, how do you think about, you know, how, how do you make sure that your team, if once you have employees working for you or like in the whole organization, is personally developing themselves in terms of growth, specifically around like how growth and tech is moving so fast. Like, what are your thoughts around how you're leveling up your own 
both hard and soft skills as a leader? Yeah, uh, such a good question. There's a million different answers, but I think they all kind of stem from having intent, uh, if that makes sense. So like, I think that there's always opportunities to learn no matter what you're working on and who you're working with. It's just a matter of looking for them. I know it's kind of a soft answer, but it's, it's like the honest truth and how I think about it. And so for me, throughout my journey, like when I was in the lone wolf phase, I was hyper-focused on just learning all the tactics. I want to learn all the tactics. I want to learn all the tools. I want to figure out how to do this stuff. And then over time, what I realized is that the tactics and tools didn't matter as much because I had other people's help and that finding ways to improve my communication and my documentation and my ability to like project manage really well and run an efficient meeting became a lot more useful. And then over time, it's been more focused on problem solving and some people management stuff has been, you know, kind of some of the other skills that I've been working on and managing up and finding ways to communicate both to your peers and to people you might be working on a team with, but also up at the executive level and for non-product and marketing folks who might work in totally other areas of the org to keep them involved and all that. So those are all areas that I think about as an ongoing basis. And I think it really just depends where you're at in your journey, you know, what skills you want to work on. I think no matter what level you're at, you will continue to get better if you get really good at planning out projects. Like before you start getting really, really clear on what success looks like, what your approach is and why you're taking that approach and what you'll learn based on no matter what happens, if the project wins, what you learn from that, even if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out, what you'll learn from that. And I just think that that goes a long way in building trust over time. And that's something that you can do at any level at any day. But I think learning systems like that and frameworks that help you to solve many problems tend to be more helpful, in my opinion, than just going hard on like the latest tech or the latest tools or like, you know, the next most popular blog post talks about some strategy and you're like, well, I got to do that now. Uh, that stuff, in my opinion, kind of comes and goes, but the frameworks on how to find the right answer are, are invaluable. So that's how I think about it. And then working with folks, I try to let them share with me what they're looking to do. And I look for opportunities for ancillary skills that I think that will help them on the way that they might not be thinking about. Yeah, I was just nodding my head. I think, yeah, you totally nailed the thing there. It's easy to chase the shiny new object, <laughs> rather like it's much more important to, you're talking about Full Story Friday and like learning about your users. Those are really, really critical information that you need to be thinking about learning around frameworks about learning. And you're thinking about frameworks. I'm not sure if you have any good examples. Uh, this is a question that is in the, the chat around. Do you have any good examples of growth playbooks that you've seen online or any examples that you've seen where like, here's a framework around some of the stuff you're talking about growth that you can share to the folks? Yeah, I mean, the two biggest frameworks I guess I lean on are, or playbooks, whatever you'd like to call them. I mean, I follow, I grew up in like the Brian Balfour school of growth. And so I have found his general like philosophy on how to run experimentation from like data collection to ideation to project planning to analysis and iterating. I sort of follow that general growth playbook, I guess you would say. But the other, I talked a lot about prioritization, which I think at anybody in any job can get better at prioritization. And it will generally be something that's like helpful to you as you advance your career. And then in terms of like specifically within growth projects, I don't know if this counts as a framework, but outside of all the tactics and all of that stuff, I have found the most helpful and straightforward way to approach many growth problems are to think about how I can remove friction as the general first step, how I can figure out what's most valuable to the user and highlight that in creative ways as the second step. And then the third step being, 
how do I add on additional segments to treat these people so that I can celebrate success on their terms, not on my terms. And so I found that to be a general like principle that I can apply to many different problems that that seems to scale really well. So good. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that we're recording this right now so that people can watch this again. Somebody was asking, what was the second point again? There was three steps that you, you mentioned. Hopefully it was the last thing. So I talked about when I optimize for many growth projects, I start by identifying friction. The second thing would be to identify what's most valuable to your ideal customer and find ways to highlight that value and deliver that value in creative ways. This is the second point. And then the third point would be layering on segmentation. And I guess just to clarify, like what I mean is a lot of product-led companies are hyper-focused on activation. How do I get more people the first time when they use our product to a certain milestone? And I think that you should make that milestone something that's valuable for the user. Like you should figure out what, like, why is the user signing up for this, like for our product to begin with? And then how do I show them that as fast as possible? And that might mean removing distractions out of the way. That might mean highlighting it at a different point in the onboarding flow for a new user versus an existing user. Or it might even mean some like website work where you can start to prime people on some of the value that they'll be receiving before they even sign into the product. They're all creative ways of doing that, but it's all about delivering value to the user. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's funny, I'm going to put a plug for your site at deliveringvalue.co. Just all about delivering value. You're right. Like, I think that's something so important, especially for, for product-led businesses that's, that's already live. A related question to that is around companies that are not live yet. Like, for example, there was a question earlier about Mesa, that AI, but we had somebody, Timothy, ask a question about, you know, they haven't launched a product yet. Uh, they're creating a list of people who are interested in it. First of all, would you be hired as a head of growth for a company that hasn't launched yet? And secondly, if you were, let's say like you randomly accepted that job, what would you focus on, if, especially if they're pre-launch? Like there, hasn't, there isn't anything for people, any value for people to experience yet. Yeah, I probably wouldn't be hired uh, at that <laughs> phase. But I mean, the way... <laughs> I just have more experience when there's a little bit of scale and then optimizing for that scale. But I mean, there's a whole bunch you can do uh, if you were hired into this position. Obviously, there's a lot of building demand. Like there's a ton of work on the marketing side and product marketing side, especially at a pre-launch company. They think is incredibly important. I know that's not like super growthy, but that's it's like growth is there's nothing to grow if there's no demand for it and people don't understand what the product is. So getting that stuff in place is like a core foundational piece. And look, like, I mean, you're laughing around me, but a lot of times if you're a head of growth at an early stage company, some days you might be the head of marketing, some days you might be the head of product, but like, that's, that's part of the deal, man. You know, you got to have those skills or resources that you can lean on to fill in the gaps. And then the other things that you can do to really scale are to set up systems for feedback. So obviously, super early stage, you're not going to have a funnel. There's not going to be a ton of conversion data to look at, but make sure you have a way to get feedback qualitatively. So either you could use a tool where you can watch people interact with the product. You can do real user sessions, like user interviews with people that would be your target customer and maybe record those. So you can kind of learn about what their jobs to be done are and how they might think about your product and the questions that they'd have, you know, their information would be invaluable. And then you can also make sure that you build in systems to help you scale. Like maybe you want to build in a virality component to your product. Maybe you have a free version of your product and you want to have a powered by your company name with a link back to your website as like a tenant of how you build the product from day one that will help you to get scale. 
or maybe there's like a referral program that you build from day one that might help you to build scale. So there's things that you can do to set the right momentum, I guess, even from day one, even though it's early stage pre-launch. Yeah, great advice, great tips. I was just about there earlier. You're you're right. Sometimes you're a marketer. Sometimes you're a product. Sometimes you're UX <laughs> in certain stages. I want to shift gears and talk about doing growth in a sales led versus product led one. And just from your experience, when you were at HubSpot, they were very sales hybrid focused, and Wistia's of on the other end where they're very product led. I, I don't know even if they have salespeople right now, and I'm sure it's the same for Wistia right now. Question around, you know, somebody asked, how is growth different in both of them? And what are some similarities, differences? And what would you suggest to companies that are going from a sales led to a product led? What are some things the growth team should be thinking about? Yeah, I mean, most of my experience is working on the more product led side. So my understanding is that more of a, in a sales motion, I think a growth leader is often connecting dots, connecting systems, enriching people and contacts and company information with more information and doing lots of back-end targeting and pixel enrichment and all kinds of cool stuff. I don't have a ton of experience in that arena. I feel like the person that comes to my mind is like the most impressive is Guillaume G. I forget exactly how you pronounce his last name, but he's incredibly talented. He was head of growth at Drift. I know he's working with Gorgeous, who Postscript also works with and a few other companies. I feel like this is really in his wheelhouse and it's it's like really cool, fascinating stuff that my mind can't even wrap my head around. Like I remember he gave a presentation where he talked about when a hot prospect had a demo call, he would use some backend API to figure out where a local coffee shop was. And then he would integrate with DoorDash and it would send the person a coffee so that when they jumped on the demo call, the rep would say, oh, by the way, how is your coffee? Like crazy stuff like that, what? that my brain can't even wrap my head around. And so that kind of stuff is cool. And then more at a product-led org. So both Wistia and Postscript are product-first, like self-service-first businesses with small sales teams that work with a small number of customers, but are highest value customers. That's exactly how we did it at Wistia uh, is how we're doing it at Postscript. And so a big part of the job is thinking about what leads should you route to sales and what should just go through a one-to-many service or a one-to-many like onboarding and, and user flow. And the challenge is always that no matter what, the sales team says, send us more leads. We'll sell more if we get more leads. But if you're in a growth position, probably your part of your job will be to figure out where are the incremental leads coming or where are the incremental sales coming from? Because you could send all of the leads to sales and get 300 new customers. You could send half the leads to sales and get 300 customers. And so it doesn't really matter where the customers are coming from. You just want to find ways where you're getting the most amount of customers for the least amount of effort. And that takes some tinkering. And then again, the job will be to optimize for that scale. So getting as many people into, once you figure out the self, you know, where you draw the line between sales and self-service, making sure you get as many people as possible into that self-service arm. And then also integrating that experience with sales down the road so that even though people might be on a relatively small monthly plan today, their business might be growing quickly. It would make sense to have some behavioral triggers or maybe they want to upgrade your product to a enterprise level and they need to talk with a sales rep to do that upgrade. And so thinking through different ways that you can truly create a product qualified lead system as well. Something that probably growth folks would be thinking about in that area. So good. That's good. Good way to think about that, how you're approaching this. I want to get to the last question and this was sent in by Chanel. She asked, regardless of success, 
what would be one of the most important lessons you learned that you'd want others to know when starting and scaling a, a growth team? Yeah, so if you had one or two advice to people listening in right now about starting and scaling the, uh, a growth team, what would be that one lesson you'd want them to take away? I got to give two, man. <laughs> Go for it. That's just how it's going to work. One, I would say frameworks over tactics. Find a system to find the right answer. It's way more valuable than knowing one answer or one tool or one tactic. Invest in systems. Find mentors that can teach you problem-solving systems. Uh, incredibly helpful for growth and every position. So I would say that. And then I would say like the main growth answer and growth team answer is that most people have never worked with a person or a team who's focused on growth. And so if you don't go out of your way to describe to them, here's what growth is, here's how we work, here's the values and principles for our team, they're going to assume something that is completely different than what you've got in your mind. And you start off misaligned and misalignment leads to lack of trust, bumping heads and all kinds of bad stuff. So my biggest piece of advice there would be align. Document your approach, document all of those things that I've talked about and find ways to proactively share that with people and to go really slow with it so that you can be aligned from day one and they will be a supporter and an advocate and someone that helps you be more successful and not a speed bump to your success. So good. That's a good way to end this. But you do, you know, if people are looking for more resources, you do have something coming up very soon. Can you share a little bit about what you're, you've are you been working on that somebody who's in growth or thinking about doing growth might find useful? Yeah, absolutely. So I've got, in addition to my full-time gig, a mentoring coaching business that I run called Delivering Value, uh, deliveringvalue.co, named for the exact reasons that we've talked about today. And I have learned that the questions that y'all were asking today are the same questions that so many people have when they start cross-functional growth roles at early stage companies. And so I wrote a blog post that shared how to approach the first 90 days. And I've been blown away at the reception and the feedback that I've gotten on that. And I've turned that into an online course that'll be made for heads of growth, growth marketers, growth PMs that are starting a new role and want to start out fast and build a strong personal brand and kick ass along the way. Uh, so that'll be launching in March. It's on my site, deliveringvalue.co. And um, hopefully I'll be able to help a lot of folks starting new roles. Well, that's it. I just dropped the links there. One, delivering.co. Second, that, that article you wrote, the 90 days, the hardest head of growth. What do you do for the first 90 days? You wrote that for growthhackers.com and your wait list for the course. Well, I think that's it. Thank you so much, Andrew. I really do appreciate and respect your time for everybody listening in. If you're still here, thank you. And let's say thanks to Andrew and his newborn. I think it's Cameron, right? Did I get that yeah, name right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right, cool. Yeah, I just thank that. So Ash is saying thank you. Have a great rest of your afternoon, evening, morning, wherever you're calling from. Thank you so much. Talk to you guys soon.